Hi, welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen today, you are blessed and encouraged. Thank you so much for listening in. If you want any more information about our ministry, we'd love you to jump onto our website, harvestaustralia.org. Have a great day. Last week, I talked about thinking big. And this week, I want to do thinking big too. And um, I want to start in Romans 15, 13. But really, even the reason I talk about the school and, and other things is because a lot of that comes from thinking big. Many, many years ago, the leadership of Morphavale Baptist Church began to think big and talk big and dream big about what might be possible when having a school and a, a, a big church environment and property and two campuses. And, and here we are some 40-odd 38, 40 years later, and we are blessed with an inheritance from that thinking big. And sometimes we need to look back to look forward, don't we? We need to look back a little bit and say, wow, some people have thought big over the years, and I'm now blessed with an inheritance because of big thinkers. And we are, even sitting here this morning, blessed with an inheritance from big thinking. And so we honour that and we thank the Lord for that. But there comes a time where we are responsible to build an inheritance ourselves. And thinking big and dreaming big often is the beginning of that. And so in Romans 15, 13, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love this bit how it says, we'll fill you completely. We'll fill you completely because of the confident hope. This word completely is thinking big. Have you ever thought about what it might look like for your life, my life, to be completely filled with joy and hope? Sometimes it's easy for us to believe for one of those things, maybe, um, you know, or joy and peace. Maybe it's easy to believe for some peace in our life, but not fullness of joy. Or maybe it's easy to think I can have a fun-filled life, but not necessarily a peaceful life. But actually God wants us to have both. Joy and peace, completely filled with these things. This is big thinking. And that's where I want to start from today, is that God desires that you and I would be completely filled, not just half filled or one quarter filled with peace. We have a little bit of peace in our lives, but the rest of our lives is chaos. Or we have a little bit of joy, but in the rest of our lives, there's agitation and nervousness and fear. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that you and I would be completely overflowing and filled with joy and peace. That means even when we're facing trials, we would have joy. Even when we have fears, we will have joy. Even when there's struggles and, and things going on in our lives, somehow we'll be completely filled with his peace. And we'll be able to say to the storm, be still, because we know Jesus is with us. And we'll actually be able to walk through situations supernaturally. 
And it doesn't mean we actually have to have an experience, a, a, you know, out-of-body experience or something where people would say, wow, that's a, an incredible supernatural experience. No, it'll be one of those experiences where we carry a supernatural peace that's not normal. It's not natural to have that much peace where we could say, wow, normally I'd be a nervous wreck in that situation, but I had peace. I would normally lose all my joy when I'm around that environment, but I'm able to keep my joy. I'm able to be joyful and even just smile at that situation. That's God's will. And so being a big thinker actually starts within, doesn't it? It starts in here, being completely filled with His presence, completely filled with His confidence and His boldness. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, is the source of this joy, is the source of this peace and the confident hope. I want to give you a quote from David J. Schwartz. Now, I don't endorse this guy necessarily. I don't know his lifestyle, but he wrote a book on big thinking. And in it, he says, build castles, don't dig graves. You might have to just sit on that one for a minute and think, what on earth does that mean? Build castles, don't dig graves. And what he means by that is even in our mind and in our lives, establish things that will last. Establish things that have substance in our relationships. Build things that last that actually have longevity, that actually have a purpose, that are safe havens. Don't dig graves. Don't leave broken relationships wherever we go. Don't leave dramas wherever we are and situations where there's graves and death and there's, and there's no life in it. We actually want to build things and relationships and institutions and environments around us that actually we can celebrate and look at. And people might even go and visit those places for generations to come, just like we do with castles. We go and we look at those things and say, wow, what a majestic, uh, amazing building stone in society those things were. They were fortresses, safe havens and protection. That's what we want to build in the kingdom, don't we? Don't be digging graves, situations, dramas and negativity and death. We want to build castles. And so I think that's a great place to start today as believers. But I want to share three things today that I think extend our big thinking. And the first one, um, or these are sometimes things that actually prohibit us. Uh, and so I want to tackle some things that prohibit us thinking big and then launch into helping us think big. And one of the things that does prohibit our big thinking is disappointment. Disappointment is one of those areas that can stop us from thinking big because you might hear people like me talking like this and it's like, it's all well and good for you, but it hasn't worked for me. Or it's all well and good for those other people I've seen success stories on social media and on, on TV, but when I've tried to think big and then begin stepping out, well, I end up just having a failure. And so we have to sometimes get past our own disappointment and our own failures to begin thinking big. One of the areas that I think Christians sometimes trip up on and especially even in charismatic churches, in Pentecostal churches, is we love the presence of God and we love 
laying on of hands and we love the power of God being released. And sometimes we think that that will be the releasing point of incredible things over our life. And we, we can uh, hit those moments where God fills us with His power and we leave just on a high and God's presence is so tangible and powerful. And we can really, and, and our spirits are so uplifted that we go, wow, everything's going to break open now. It's going to happen now. Those prophecies over my life are finally released and the power of God is released in my life and I just want to launch out and do stuff. And oftentimes the opposite happens. Whenever you, I don't know about you, but you might have got a great prophetic word over your life and then the opposite begins to happen. And you begin to doubt the prophecy, doubt the prophet or prophetess and say, well, well, that wasn't for me. That was for someone else. But often there's a release of power or a release of the Word of God to get us over the next mountain. That's why it had to be so intense. That's why it had to be so specific and tangible and powerful because that encounter was to get us over the mountain so that we could see over the next challenge and trial and build up strength and maturity and wisdom and character and all of those incredible traits that we need as mature believers. Because without that experience, maybe we wouldn't have made it as far. Maybe we wouldn't have gone as far. Maybe we wouldn't have had that uh, that moment where we could go back to in the trial and say, Lord, you touched me then. I heard your voice then. I heard that prophetic word. I'm going to hold on to that. And it gets you through the trial. It gets you through the mountain. And so it's important to remember those moments. I want to encourage you today. Remember those moments. Maybe it was when you just first got to know Jesus. Maybe you responded to an altar call or, or had a Billy Graham crusade or, or a moment where you received Jesus into your life. Maybe it's that time. Maybe it's when you got filled with His Spirit or baptised in the Holy Spirit or felt His presence for the first time or had an awakening moment in your life with Jesus. Those moments are memory stones that we go back to sometimes and go, I remember He's real. I remember He's real. My situation doesn't necessarily evidence that. My life, I'm doubting myself, I'm doubting everything, but I know He's real. And I want to tell you today, Jesus is real. It doesn't matter how you're feeling. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Jesus is real. And He reigns on high. And He is not fearful about the future. He's not confused about the political environment. He's not really worried about what's going to happen because He knows what's going to happen. And when we look to Him, we can have a rudder in life that no one else can have unless they know Jesus. All the fear, all the stress, all the worry, we look to Jesus. We say, you're in control, Lord. You're sovereign. You know what's happening. I don't know what's going on, but you do. And then we start to live in a higher place. We don't live in our emotions. We don't even live in our situation. We live in a higher place because our eyes are on Jesus. And then the disappointment washes away because we shouldn't be relying on ourselves anyway, should we? And so the more we look to Him, the less we rely on ourselves, And that selfishness disappears and we begin to say, all right, Lord, 
You're in control. You know what's going on. I'm going to let go of my disappointments and my failures of the past. And I'm going to take up, that's what I believe taking up the cross means. It actually means we walk with him and we remember his goodness. We remember his victory. We remember that he's in control. We remember that he will walk with us through the trials. And he doesn't want us to stay in our graves. He doesn't want us to stay in our disappointments. There's another saying that says, think big, but start small. Think big, but start small. Thinking big has to start somewhere. Thinking about dreams, thinking about things that God wants to do, it has to begin somewhere. And normally, I think it starts in our imagination or in our thoughts, and then it starts in the smallest possible way. It might be, for example, well, I'd really like to, I'm going to give you a real practical one. I'd really like to, um, you know, do myself up a little bit. Well, that's a thought that comes into my head. The next thing is I'm going to go to the barber and get myself a short back and sides. You don't have to have a short back and sides. Robert, I love that flaring hair is incredible. Jared, Zeph, all our hairy guys. But it, it, it takes action, doesn't it? A thought and then an action, and then something happens. And then it goes from that to, hey, I might just go and buy myself a nice shirt or a nice, you know, pair of socks that we don't wear anymore. Or just something. It just begins. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it transpires into something else and the people we hang around and the conversations we have. And then that leads to something else. And then it gets a little bit bigger. And then over time... All of a sudden, we're living in a different way and we're actually talking in a different way. And, and if we were seeking a new avenue of maybe in business or career or a job opportunity, all of a sudden, things began to transpire. Why? From that thought. From that thought about just looking a little bit differently and presenting a little bit differently. All of a sudden, a year later, we're in a whole new job because opportunities have opened themselves from that thinking. Started small, but opened new doors. And it's very simple. And I've seen that in my life. Little thoughts will just enter my head about, you know, doing this or starting this. And sometimes, you know, they're just random and you let them go. Other times they, they brew a little bit and you think, hey, I think God's on this. And we begin to grow something and it transpires into a conversation. Conversation then goes into action. Action then goes into another action. And then we build, build something. And for me, it always takes some learning. I do some reading and some research and begin having a look at that environment, making sure God's on it. And if God's on it, then I'll water it with some more reading and knowledge and research and conversations. And, and that begins to open doors. And that's actually how I've seen God really, particularly in business, but also for Karen and I in other dimensions of life, in health and wellness. All of this has begun from thoughts in our head. Little thoughts in our head that, hey, wouldn't it be good to be healthy? That's just a thought that happens. Or if you're not feeling so good in your physical body, it's all of a sudden there's a thought that's like, I don't like this. And so the next thing is, I want to take some action. You begin to take some action and then you begin to do some research. And then research leads to some more action. And, you know, it's, it's incredible what transpires as we begin to grow that. And as we do that as kingdom believers, I believe there's an anointing on us to release that to other people in a special way because he's called us to be multipliers. But the enemy loves to steal, kill and destroy. So he loves to bring confusion and doubt and fear, doesn't he? John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. 
If you've ever felt like your, your purposes and plans and victories have been stolen, killed and destroyed, then you can probably be assured the enemy has a hand in it. Now, sometimes he uses our own weaknesses and failures and areas of, of um, where we need to grow. He'll jump on those things, whack a fish hook in and just pull on that. And he actually uses that to bring us down. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today in the, in the second area, first one's disappointment. The next one is relationships. I believe that a breakthrough in thinking big is great relationships. Great relationships. Now, you might think, well, that is a weird topic to be talking about when we're talking about thinking big. But I, I want to re- really explore much more than thinking big, but actually releasing big people. Because releasing God in us is big, isn't it? God is big. Say that again after me. God is big. God is bigger than me. He's huge, isn't he? He has a solution for every single problem you're facing right now. Easy solution. Easy as anything. We think it's really, really hard. We squeeze, we pop our eyeballs out trying to work out solutions and trying to find God, trying to, I mean, we, we do everything known to mankind. And if we're really spiritual, we fast and pray, which is not a bad thing to do. If we're not so spiritual, maybe we go for a drive or go to the beach or something like that or eat Mars bars and Kitchener buns, which we just drool over now. And Ever been in a bakery and just see a Kitchener bun and think, man, I should have eaten so many more 15 years ago. When we had the chance, (laughs) pies and Kitchener buns and iced coffees, they're my weakness. I know I'm just making some of you just think, wow, that's just motivation for wellness, isn't it? (laughs) I just wish in my 20s I just downed so many more of those things. Relationships. This is one of the most powerful areas of our lives to not just thinking big, but releasing the big. If we fail in our relationships continually, we will not see the big. And I'm 43, and for 43 years, I've subconsciously been analysing this. I've been in church all my life. Parents in leadership, and now we're in leadership. We've been in business. We've had thousands of people come through our factory, employed over the years by us. And so we have a little bit of a knowledge of human behaviour, especially when it comes in uh, the environment of us being in leadership and what that means to actually be a, a leader and people's reaction to that. And so one of the things that I've noticed, and it's not just in church, it's, it's definitely in our business life as well, is that if we have continual breakdown in relationships, we will never see the greater. Because what happens is we, f- we have graves following us. We're digging graves. We're not digging castles. We're not building castles and success stories. We're actually building graves. And so we look behind us and it's like, oh, no, I failed with that situation. Oh, no, I didn't handle that so well. And, uh, uh, oh, no, this, this hasn't gone so well. And so actually we, we look behind us and we can actually see that there's a repetitive cycle of graves rather than victories. Now, we're not always going to get it right. We do have failures. We stuff up. We say the wrong thing sometimes. But ultimately, it's about the heart. 
And if we really know Jesus, we will want him to clean up our heart. And we'll want him to get it right with people. And we winter, we have a swimming pool. Over winter, our pool goes all sorts of colours. But the main one is brownie green. If you've got a pool, you'll know what I'm talking about. We have frogs and all sorts of things that jump in there and live in there. Anyway, so yesterday we, we did the spring clean, tried to anyway. And the boys were out there helping me and we're sucking all the brown stuff off the, off the ground. And, you know, I mean, I would have cleaned the filter 20 times and it's still just clogging up with all the stuff, clogging up, clogging up, clogging up. And if, yeah, if you're a pool cleaner, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's mayhem. It's, a, it's stressful. It's going to take some weeks, I think, to clean all this stuff up. Why? Because it hasn't been cleaned regularly. And this is what happens sometimes in our heart. If we don't stay cleaning our own hearts with Jesus regularly, face to face, getting on our faces or knees or backs or bottoms or whatever we do in our prayer closet with him and actually say, Jesus, keep my heart pure. Keep me clean so that I don't build up so much crap in my heart so that one day you have to suck it all out and the filter's going to get so clogged that it's going to be quite chaotic. There's going to be tears and I'm going to have all sorts of issues in my life because it's been too long before I got honest with myself. It's been too long before I got honest with you, Jesus, and said, how am I walking with you? How am I living rightly with you? How am I living in my heart? With the king? Or do I have graves around me? Or do I have successes around me? It's one of those hard truths, but you know, the world knows this. I've been doing a little bit of research. We all know about IQ, having intelligence, and uh, it's a very important thing in certain realms of life to have a good IQ. And um, I think, I can't remember the name of the, the painter who was meant to have. The, the greatest IQ potentially in, in history, probably other than Jesus, I suppose, but one of you will know. Anyway, um, it's, it's one of those areas that, that if you have a little look at it, it's, it's very important, particularly in certain areas of life. But there's an interesting thing that's going around now, and it's, it's quite well documented, and it's called EQ, emotional, emotional intelligence, if you like. And so... In the book called The EQ Edge by Stephen J. Stein, PhD, and Howard E. Book, MD, he has a definition of EQ. Emotional quotient is the set of skills that enable us to make our way in a complex world, the personal, social, and survival aspects of overall intelligence. The elusive common sense and sensitivity that are essential to effective daily functioning. It has to do with the ability to read the political and social environment and landscape them, to intuitively grasp what others want and need, what strengths and weaknesses are, to remain unruffled by stress and to be engaging, the kind of person others want to be around and will follow. Isn't it interesting? Emotional intelligence, being emotionally aware of ourselves and others. It means that people will want to be around us. Just sounds like the kingdom, doesn't it? Sounds like what Jesus talks about in so many ways. And when we hear Paul teaching on the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, it's genuine, it's real, but we actually have to take it seriously. And, and when I look at things like this, I realise that so much of the gospel is actually personal. 
So much of the gospel is for me to keep my heart right, to keep my life right. The last thing I want to share on is pure hearted. Pure hearted, keeping a pure heart. May sound funny, but actually I believe this is a real key in taking our thinking into fruitfulness. Because our thoughts come in and they come in and they filter through our being, don't they? They filter through our behaviour, our experiences, our thoughts, what we're reading, our, our soul. They filter through our soul. And if we've actually got gunked up over winter like our swimming pool and we have some unforgiveness and we have judgments and we have bitterness and jealousy or we have insecurities and fear and other things that are gunking up our soul and our, our thought life, then actually our behaviour comes through that and it gets a little bit clogged up. And so David actually cried this out in Psalm 51.10. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Why did he say that? Because he knew his spirit wasn't right. He knew it was clogged up. He knew it was dirty. He knew that a right spirit was so important for fruitfulness, for the victory, for the prosperity, for the kingdom to be released. And another word in other versions, instead of right, it actually says loyal. Renew a loyal spirit within me. In other versions, instead of spirit, it says attitude. So we could say, renew a loyal attitude in me toward the Father and toward others around us. It's an incredible key to seeing the fruit of God released in our lives. Because I don't actually believe, I believe Matthew teaches this really well on the parable of the talents, where God the Father will only entrust you and me with more if we are faithful. And we have to prove ourselves faithful. It's not just a given that we're going to get more. Just because we heard Joseph Prince preach on it or Joel Osteen preach on it. I love those preachers. They talk about more. But there's, there's categories where God will allow us opportunities to be faithful. And if we're not faithful and we keep a wrong spirit in those situations, He will not give us more. And it's one of the key frustrations of believers worldwide. And I believe this is the key, keeping a right spirit. Keeping a right spirit toward the Father, toward Jesus, toward other people, especially those in authority. And I don't just say that because I'm in authority. I don't need anything from anyone. But I've recognised it over 20 years of being in leadership of a lot of people, both in secular society and in Christian circles. That keeping a right spirit toward those in authority, and I practice this in my own life, toward our prime minister, it's a little easier now than it was a few months ago. And we pray that continues. But it's a test, isn't it? It's a real test. And so I practice this sometimes. And I think about some world leaders that I don't like. And I think, how am I going to pray for them? And I actually pray for them. And I grumble and mumble and grip my teeth and the prayers come out. But after a while, I find myself blessing them. I find myself blessing them. Why? Because it helps me keep a right spirit, even toward ungodly people. And when we practice that, we get bigger. We get bigger. So it starts with a thought. It ends in a prayer. But then we get blessed. And so if you've struggled with people in authority in your lives, I want to just bless you with a key to that. Begin blessing them. Honour them. There is so much breakthrough in honouring leaders, honouring your boss at work. Let me tell you, even if he or she is not a very nice person, you are to bless them. 
The Bible says that you are to listen to them, to obey them and to do what they say. In fact, work for them as if working for the king. What a witness for the kingdom. You want to get more? Begin there. Begin there in those small places, those places where God wants to take us through our jail experience if you feel like a Joseph or a desert experience if you feel like a David or a Moses or a cave experience if you want to be like a David. But you can see the principles over time is God will give us experience where he'll say, do you really follow me? Do you really trust me? When, when it's getting tough, when it's getting rough, when you're confronted with your own insecurities and fears, will you follow him now? Will you honour him now? I believe keeping a pure, right spirit toward God, but practically toward mankind in those situations, tests, do we really follow Jesus or do we just say it? Do we really follow Jesus? So many times we let ourselves off. We say, oh, well, they didn't do it the way I like it. They were mean to me. They didn't like it. Well, you know what? The Bible says that we will be persecuted. And if we can't handle a little bit of wrong language by fellow believers, how on earth are we going to face persecution by unbelievers? So test out your Jesusness of your own spirit when someone offends you, when a believer says something to you that you're not sure about. Or when you're in a situation where you're around people who carry authority and you're to submit to them, test your own heart and see how you measure. And that might sound like really tough stuff, but speaking like this is the real world, guys. It's the real world. I used to see it so often in the factory. You know, guys would, would come in and, uh, and it's so clear to see in a secular environment those who are going to last and those who aren't. I mean, I used to sometimes, you know, look across the room when I'd, I'd be giving maybe a Friday afternoon, you know, talk on, on what jobs we've got coming up and stuff like that. And you could see in the room the guys who just didn't like me because I'm the boss. I've never done anything wrong to them, never offended them. I pay them well to do what they do and they still do it with the wrong attitude. You know, you can easily see they're not going to last very long. Sure enough, in a year, they're not at those meetings anymore. Why? Because I didn't promote them. It's exactly what God does to us. He gives us opportunities to test, do we have a right spirit or a wrong spirit? And the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy our peace. It's what he did in the garden. He tried to bring a division. He tried to bring a wrong spirit. Well, he did bring a wrong spirit in the garden of Eden. And he still tries to do it to us today. To this very day, he still tries to do it to us. And he whispers things to us like, oh, they're in the wrong. Oh, they're not a good leader. Oh, they've done wrong by you. Or they, they didn't recognize you years ago. This rises up in what's called a wrong spirit. Let go of a wrong spirit. If you carry a wrong spirit today, get rid of it. It's the key to promotion. It's the key to God giving you more talents. It's the key to God actually releasing more of his kingdom through your life. Because if we walk with those things, we only limit ourselves. And that's the unfortunate part about it, that we only limit ourselves. So I pray very regularly with the Lord. I pray this prayer, create in me a clean heart and keep a right spirit within me. And then I begin praying for certain areas, you know, people who are in authority over us, even 
maybe in our council environment or in our political environment, and I think of people that I don't agree with. And there's plenty of those. <laughs> Begin praying for them. You know, it, it, it releases something. I still have to battle through my own little judgments and my own criticisms and my own little things. But I want to tell you something. I remember Karen and I went to the island of Jersey about nine years ago or something, right? And we went all this way to have some heart healing because we knew we needed it and we were stepping into ministry and we thought we want to just go there and get some ministry. And, and so we went to a leader's school of ministry with Duncan and Kate Smith, who we've had many times. And um, there was one particular session. I didn't get a lightning bolt. I didn't get, you know, a huge manifestation of power. So if, if you're like that, that's perfectly fine. But God will still reveal his purposes in and through you. And I remember at one session, I can't even remember who it was talking, but it was talking on judgments. And it was talking about a critical spirit. And I'm listening and I'm resisting. And I'm eating my jelly beans and, and, and snakes because we ate them back then. I had packets of them. I enjoyed them. They're lolly snakes. But I was, wasn't I? I was downing like three packets a day. <laughs> Just this session after session after session, I needed some sugar or whatever. Anyway, so I'm, I'm listening to this and it begins talking on judgments and I realise that's me. And you know that point where you finally get honest with yourself? You finally get rid of all your little inhibitions and problems and, and you think, well, actually, if Jesus is real, he's real in the moments where he convicts me as well. Not just in the glory phases, but in the conviction phases. And I want to tell you, it's some of the most powerful phases of our life. More powerful than any prophecy, more powerful than any moment where we can actually tack is where he convicts us and he takes us into freedom. And I did that, repented of a lot of judgments, of a lot of people in ministry. And I don't even know why I had judgments towards some of these people. Some of them, they wore skinny jeans and I judged them. Now I wear skinny jeans and I love it. You know, some of them, they just didn't like their hair or their shiny teeth or their suits or whatever it was. I had stupid judgments toward people I didn't even know or just shouldn't have even had any thoughts but we are stupid sometimes. I was walking in what's called the doofus anointing. Remember that one? Where you just have opinions about people that you just shouldn't have an opinion about. I have no reason to judge some of these people and other people in, in uh, other dimensions of life. And so God convicted me and I dealt with it there and then. And since that day, I have known a freedom and a unity and a blessing for other streams and movement like never before. And now we connect with people from all over Australia and the world in all sorts of different streams and speak in different movements and churches and, and, and things like that. Why? Because I dealt with my heart. And it's really powerful.